0: This is Revelation chapter 12. It's not going to be a bad dream. What it really is, it's a panorama of history. That's what's fascinating. If I were to boil this thing down in just a couple of words, is to say God is working his purposes out, and I'm not quoting Dr. House who often says that in our men's group, but God is working his purposes out as time draws nearer and nearer, all right? That was a song we sang when I was a little boy, and there's this, this thing that goes on is somehow in his purpose. He created this being that we call Lucifer. I'm not even sure we know his name, okay? His real name, but he was created. He was a beautiful being. He was amazing. He was musical. He was probably more gifted than any angel that had been created. And then he became the greatest narcissist that ever was, fell in love with himself, rejected the Lord, took a third of the angels with him. And those are the demons that roam to and fro trying to make our lives miserable. Praise God that we have within us a power that is greater than those that are in the world. That's the Holy Spirit. So where does this story begin? Where does the conflict happen? Where does it all begin? I don't know exactly. God was around forever. But I do know this, that in Genesis chapter 3, in 14 through 15, as the lord speaks to the serpent and at this this moment when moses records this he doesn't know who this serpent was okay the serpent he says i will put enmity between you serpent and the woman between your offspring and hers and you he will crush your head and you will strike his heel that's the first prophetic utterance we have really in the bible recorded where we know that there's going to be this war that goes on between the serpent, whoever the serpent is, and mankind, okay, and the children of man, and the seed of woman. As I said, chapter 12 is sort of an interlude. That means it's an intermission in this panorama of destruction we've seen since Revelation chapter 6. We've seen all these plagues, and we have seen the uh, trumpets blown and all of that, and it's this pause in the destruction, and we're given sort of an overview The Lord gives us an insight into what happened throughout time between Satan and him on the earth. It's really, really interesting. And it involves war against us as God's people and war against Israel as God's chosen nation, all right? And it's a war that continues. And I'm gonna show you how it's so obvious. It's so unique and so different that it it really lends truth to, to what we believe. These are the words from an Anglican hymn that we sang, as that I sang as a child. And it is God is working his purpose out, as year succeeds to year, God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That was the tune to it when we sang it. This from utmost east to utmost west, and it goes on and on. God's working his purposes out in the world. As a seven or eight-year-old singing that, I thought it was just a cool tune. And now as an older person, I'm comforted when I see insanity in the world. Amen? Amen. To know that God's working his purposes out as the time draws nearer and nearer. Verse 1, chapter 12, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet. And on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head, seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he, the dragon, might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all of the nations with a rod of iron. Who is that speaking of? Jesus and him alone, right? But her child was called up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared for God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take these cryptic passages and understand a little more about your plan for history, Lord, and what you're doing. And Lord, may it explain to us some of what we see in the world, that we can see what goes on maybe, Lord, for a moment from your perspective. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God has his objectives. What are God's objectives? They're to have a relationship with you and me to have a relationship with his creation. And Satan has objectives, and what are they? To disrupt that sweet communion that we have with the Lord. Yes. Jesus said, I'm going to quote later, very clearly said that Satan comes with an agenda. He has an agenda, Michael. And his agenda is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Yes. He's not interested in stealing your motorbike or your ATV out of your garage. Satan is desirous to steal your joy. Yep. If he can't have your soul, and he cannot, if you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, then he's hell bent on making your life a hassle, giving you chaos where your where the joy of the Lord that you're to have is stolen from you. Yeah. Jesus said, "I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly." An abundant life is not congruous with a chaotic life, or a horrible life, or a unjoyful life. So. Don't ever think that God has his objectives and Satan has his, and somehow they're equal. They are not equal. That's called dualism. We don't have like an evil God and a and a wonderful God. There's one God, and it's Yahweh. Amen. He's the creator and the king of the universe. Yes. And he, as I said before, he, he created this being who he gave, I guess, a degree of freedom where that being chose to go into rebellion against him. So when we look at this, I want to examine who is the woman, Who is the dragon? What is the moon? Or who is the moon? What are the stars? And what is the sun? My son, who's somewhere in here, I think he's on the back row, he was earlier. He might be in the nursery. Maybe in the nursery. Said to me as I was preparing this, Dad, I want to make you aware of something that, because Alex is a deep thinker. This is not going to be the focus of, of this sermon today, but I just want you to hear some of the theories that are out there. He said, Dad, do you realize that what's described In chapter 2 of Revelation is an exact description of what happened on September the 11th, 3 B.C. Isn't that interesting? And he takes you to something here called Stellarium.com. And you can go back in time and you can look at the sky at a specific date, any time in history. Which is super cool. And he went through and explained to me, and he's not here in the back right now, he's with the baby. But how in the constellations, there's a Virgo, there's a Parthenon, as he called it, which would be a virgin, I think in Greek is how you say it, but it's Virgo in in Latin. I'm more familiar with Latin. With seven or with 12 stars above her head, and the moon passes through her. And it's kind of interesting, but all of this, if it's true, lines up with the date that many think that Jesus was born, which was the first of Tishra in, in 3 B.C., I said, son, how'd you even get into any of this? He said, well, I began reading the works of a a doctor named Dr. Michael Heiser. I believe you probably knew Dr. Heiser. He was part of the team that made Lagos, is what Alex explained to him to me. And if you want to take a screenshot, that is Alex's YouTube where he does an analysis and a description of what I'm just explaining to you. But Alex said he read a book by Ernest Martin about the star that astonished the world, talking about the star at Jesus' birth. And he related to me that Revelation 12 describes the night sky also the night that Jesus was born. It may or may not, okay? Some people argue that it can't be because Herod... Uh, we don't want to know what Syria found. <laughs> uh, but but that, that uh, there's a, a discrepancy maybe in the date of when Herod died, if it was 3 B.C. or 4 B.C., but this is pretty interesting, that this astral event appeared in the sky and it happened on September the 11th, which we know that is a date, and there's a lot of importance to that date, and it was Tishri one. Well, what is Tishri? Tishrei is the first day of the civil year in Judaism. It is also the day that Orthodox Jews claim that Noah was born, okay? It was also the day that they claimed that Adam and Eve were created. I'm just sharing these things with you, and it is the day that kings are crowned in Israel. So isn't that interesting that perhaps, I mean, who knows? You can go look at this, decide for yourself. It's not the the tack that I'm going to take today, to use a navigating term on the ocean. But I thought it was interesting, and, and Alex mentioned it to me, and I felt it was worth talking about. I centered in on this, on Joseph's dreams, He had two dreams. Remember the dreams? The one where he dreamed that he was in this field and he was a sheaf of wheat and that there were these other sheaves of wheat, 11 of them bowing down to him. And he said, hey, maybe that's y'all and you're going to bow down to me. Well, his brothers didn't like that dream. All right. And they got uptight about it. And then he dreamed a second dream and this is it. I'm taking this from Genesis 37. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But Look at the response of Jacob. But his father kept the matter in mind. Isn't that interesting? His father listening goes, Wow, there's something maybe to this dream. I mean, I I think that's kind of interesting. You see, Jacob, Jacob's ear was tuned to the voice of God. Jacob had had an encounter back in a place that he named Bethel in Genesis 28, and it's Jacob's ladder. And if you go into my office, I had meant to bring that picture. My father painted one of the last pictures of his life, a watercolor, and it's the watercolor of Jacob's ladder. And it has 11 stars up in the sky, and it's got... uh, the sun and the moon and Jacob going up and down this thing. It's kind of a cool picture. So Jacob had this experience where he heard the voice of God and Jacob is Israel. Jacob, from Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel and God gave him the promises that he had given Abraham. I wrote them down here for you from Genesis 28. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. This is God now speaking. To Jacob personally, in the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, so on and so forth. And he says, uh, and in you and in your seed, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So, there in Bethel, Jacob is associated, at least in my mind, that Israel is the woman. Israel is the woman, and it makes sense because Israel is going to give birth to this child that this dragon wants to devour. And the, the stars above Israel are the 12 tribes of Israel. And the sun, it says, is there with the sun. The sun is the radiance of God. And, and I have heard even Israel today called the glory of God. It says is Israel, God's glory. Have Y'all heard that expression? And the sun is the glory of God. And as the sun uh, as the sun gives birth there to the moon or the moon's under the sun, I think the moon is a good representation of you and me. We're the church. Amen. And we reflect the glory of God as it was shown through Israel, through the personhood of Jesus Christ. And he is willing and ready and able to shine through each of us in our journeys in life. So that's a bit of a thought that I have. And there's the dragon that's uh, there at the bottom. So verse two, yeah, it is a wow, uh, Janie, it really is. If we go back to verse two, it says she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Israel has gone through a lot of birth pains to birth Jesus. Israel, if you study Israel, it is a study of pain and it is a study of blessings. You go, well, what do you mean, Faber? Well, if you were in Sunday school, or Vacation Bible School or something, you heard of the story of Abraham. You heard of the agonies of Abraham. Remember when Abraham Abraham had a painful path just getting to God's promised land. God said, go to a land that you don't know, and I'll be there when you get there. That's all Abraham knew. He didn't know the way to get there. And Abraham goes, and Abraham ends up having this promised child, and then God tells him to sacrifice the child. That's a turmoil. That's a trial. Okay, so from the very first days, Israel had these kind of problems. And there Isaac is, and we don't think he's just a little bitty boy. We think he's a boy that's old enough and large enough, a young man to get up and run off at the altar, and he stays. And then Jacob, with all of Jacob's trials. Oh, Jacob had so many trials. We could go into them all, and we've gone into a lot of them. Just with Israel being born as a nation, Jacob ends up going down. He thinks his son, Joseph, is killed. He goes down and he sees his son, he said, and and then they're delivered from that famine in Canaan only to end up becoming slaves down in Egypt. Y'all, Israel, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation has had more misery than any other people group on earth. Can you amen that? And so you have to ask yourself, why is that? And it's because the dragon declared war on them from the get-go. You understand? Because if the dragon can get to the nation of Israel, the dragon thought in his mind, perhaps he could stop Jesus. And then we had Moses that came along and Aaron and then Joshua. And I wanted to show you a picture of this book. This is called a Haggadah. This is read at Passover, okay? Passover's been practiced since the Jews left Egypt. This is my favorite part of the Passover ceremony. It's called the Dayenu. What does Dayenu mean? It means enough or enough already. Have you ever heard these Jewish people say enough already, like these comedians? It's from Dayenu. And there is a litany that they go through, which is a repetition in a Passover meal where they say this, and I want you to listen, because each of us should be able to say these things in our own life. Lord, if all you had ever done was brought me onto planet Earth and had me born Dayenu, it would have been enough. Lord, if I had had, I'm saying this for my own life, if I had just had a mother who loved the Lord and taught me how to pray, Lord, dayenu, that would have been enough. But Lord, you gave me a mother and a father. And Lord, if that had all you'd ever given me in my life, dayenu. Amen. Y'all see? And in, and in the liturgy of the Passover, they say, Lord, if you had just brought us out of the land and into Egypt, dayenu, Lord. it would have been enough. Lord, if you had never delivered us from slavery, but yet you brought us Moses, and if nothing else had happened, that would have been enough. Amen. And I just point this out because they're embedded in the very seed of, the, of, of freedom and coming out of Israel, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. There are the Jewish people rejoicing that, Lord, it would have been enough if that is all you had done. So, Christian, how long has it been since you've said, Lord, everything you've done up to my lot? in my life up to this point, it would have been enough. And I'll praise you the rest of my days. Think about that for a minute. Instead of focusing on what you don't have, and Lord, I want you to bless me. What are the blessings that he's blessed you with already? Guys, it's enough already, amen? Anyway, that's just a word there about Israel. And then we see this angelic conflict discussed where uh, where we see the dragon, bringing down a third of the stars out of heaven and onto the earth. And as I said, I think this, and most scholars believe, this represents the angelic conflict that happened. It was between Michael and between Satan. We know this because we can read over, I think it's in Jude, where it says that Moses and, and or, I'm sorry, not Moses, Michael and uh, that Michael and Satan had an argument over the body of Moses. Isn't, there, isn't that in Jude? I believe it is. So these are now on earth, as I said, seeking whom they destroy, roaming around, 1 Peter 5 eight, And as I said, we're not to leave here with any fear because we know that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Amen. Yes. So what happened was this picture of the dragon trying to eat the baby is Satan again trying to thwart Jesus's mission. He was there. And this is the Lord showing us in a panorama that Satan was totally aware of what was happening and did what he could to to thwart Jesus ever coming. Do you remember when Pharaoh passed the edict that all the young Hebrew boys should be killed? Do y'all remember that? Why would he do that? To destroy the promise that was given back in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman would end up redeeming the earth. And then we saw that even as Jesus was born. Remember when the wise men came from the east and they went and they saw Herod? And and they... uh, said, we've come to worship this king and we've seen the star in heaven. And Herod, being the sly fox that he was, was, said, well, when you find him, let me know so I can come and worship him too. And then Herod sent out an edict that any child under the age of two was to be killed. Again, that is not Herod. That is Satan operating through Herod. And when a lot of things happen in our lives, we may think, if I could just get this person out of my life. No, no. Maybe it's demonic forces working through that person to make our lives miserable, all right? And then in verse six, he promises what I think is divine protection for Israel for 1260 days. If you have your Bible, you can look at that there, saying that he would send them uh, into the wilderness and protect them for a time, times, and a half of a time. And that would be three and a half years, Tim. You asked me the other day, tell me how that is, because the times... One time would be a year, times would be two years, that's three, and a half of a time would be three and a half years, 1260 days. Verse 7, now that war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. I wanted to mention that in Daniel 10, verse 10, we see angelic conflict happening. And as Rabbi Daniel taught us, Back when Moses wrote down Genesis, they wrote about a serpent, but they didn't know the identity of the serpent. He contends that the Jews really never knew they had an adversary of Satan until Daniel 10:10, when Daniel is made aware of this angelic conflict that's happening, that there is this force out there that is hell bent on destroying the Jewish people. We have the advantage of reading this. As Gentile believers, the great dragon. Who was the ancient serpent? It was the devil, Satan himself. You see, the Jews never saw this and never knew this until their captivity in Babylon. Now, the salvation, as I said, and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, and that is actually the meaning of Satan. Ha-Satan means the accuser, all right? And he's there accusing you and me day and night before our God. I put a little bit of grammar in here. This comes from a noun in, in Hebrew, which means accuser, and is from a verb meaning to obstruct or oppose. They have opposing missions. As I talked about before, and here I'm quoting Jesus, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And look at this. This is now going to talk about two things that defeat the enemy. Pastor Michael, this is probably your most quoted favorite verse in the Bible. I'm going to give you credit for this. Michael brought my attention to this verse when I ignored uh, Revelation because it was just too strange for me to delve into. How did they conquer him? They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, number one, and by the word of their testimony. You and I conquer the dragon. We defeat the snake by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's right. Every believer has that. That are your two weapons against Satan. Absolutely. The blood of the lamb and then the word of your own testimony. That is you receiving the gift and the act that Jesus did on the cross. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, earth and sea for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. You know, Satan has two great stumbling blocks, the Jews and Jesus. I posted something some of y'all saw on Facebook the other day. It's amazing how you can name Mohammed. You can talk about Krishna. You can talk about Buddha, and everybody's accepting and kind and loving. But when you mention the name of Jesus, people go crazy. Isn't that true? They come undone. And you know why they come undone? Because the others are powerless. And when demons hear the word Jesus, they go nuts. And people that are controlled by them go nuts. They they hate the name of Jesus. And then how about Israel? How about this tiny group of people that have been so pursued and so hated? It makes zero sense, does it? I mean, I, mean, I don't know how big Israel is, but I, when I last saw, the main part of it is the size of Grimes County. And yet it is the focal point of the entire world right now. Amen. The whole Arab world talks about we need to get rid of the Israeli problem. Well, you know what the Nazis called it? The Jewish problem, right? It's the same thing over and over again. It is the snake trying to destroy God's chosen people. And the snake tries to destroy us that have been adopted and grafted in to God's people. Amen? And I think the fact that the Jews are pursued and that they're, starved to death and they're run out of places and they're over and over maligned, I think it gives testimony to the special nature of who they are. In the same way that our faith doesn't, our faith comes under attack when Buddha, like I said, and the others are not. There's a book I read called Why the Jews by Dennis Prager. I'm a supporter of Prager University. I'll put that plug in right now. He's he's not a Christian. Dennis Prager is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi who's a great writer. And he says, why the Jews? And he goes through all this stuff about reasons for anti-Semitism and envy and all this kind of stuff. And I just think, Dr. Prager, you're missing the whole thing. The reason why the Jews is because the Jews are God's chosen people. Amen. And he kind of misses that. But anyway, this, this passage that we see today is we see the war that Satan and his minions are fighting against the Jewish people and consequently against each of us in Jesus. Verse 14, but the woman. So now God's going to gift the woman, Israel, two wings. These are wings to escape of the great eagle. Sandy said, wouldn't it be great if the eagle is actually the United States? I don't know that it will be. I don't think that it will be the way we see things going. But that great eagle, these two wings, sends the woman, it says, into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, Tim, and times, and half a time. So I don't know exactly what this is, but I think this is God telling us that he is going to give respite to the Jewish people. That in the midst of the last three and a half years of the great tribulation, he's going to take them to a place, I guess, of of, uh, sanctuary, where it says he will give them nourishment for a time and times and half a time. Then the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so he's chasing her, to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. So I don't know if the earth is going to open up and swallow up armies. I don't know what's going to happen. It says, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now that's spooky to me. Because it sounds like somehow the Lord is going to protect the nation of Israel, and yet the war is going to be heated up on those that are the offspring, the rest of the offspring that would be Gentiles who become Christians during the revelation. I don't know. I'm seeing a shaking head in the back. There's a remnant of the Jews. Okay, well there's a remnant then. Right. These are the that ran. Well, somebody's going to have, and perhaps uh, Sister Kathy's right, that's a remnant that they're going to be given this sanctuary. They're going to be secreted away somewhere. And I appreciate that. Do yeah, I do, Kathy? That she's read a lot on this and has given me books. So, like I said, there's all kinds of opinions, and it gets confusing, and it's wonderful that how we believe about all this doesn't send us to hell or send us to heaven or keep us from either, you know? It's just in Jesus, but he says to make war on the rest of the offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God. I was thinking that this would be, you know, perhaps believing Gentiles who hold on to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So that is chapter 12. So what do we make out of chapter 12? What I make out of it is God is working his purposes out as time draws nearer and nearer. Back to how I started this off. I don't understand all of these things, but I know that God has a plan, and I know that in the timing of that plan, when those who are there in the midst of the plan, because that's who it's going to be most important to, those who are sitting there trying to figure out what is going to happen to us, they're going to know through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. They're going to know what's happening. The good news for you and me is, I believe that when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we have put our faith and trust in him, we're never going to see these dark days. Amen. That at some point, a Trump's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first up there at Fairview Cemetery. Uh, if you and I happen to be out there working on the well that day, Daryl, we're going we're gonna to see your mom pop out of the ground and shoot off with Bobby, Bridges, and all the other saints of Union Grove that have been died and put there. And then the rest of us are going to right after them. So that's the good news, you know, but it's nice to see that this, this dragon, this baby eating dragon, let's just call him that the serpent of old, this Satan, this accuser can do nothing against the advocacy of your lawyer in heaven. When you're accused by the DA, your greatest hope hangs on who your defense attorney is. I've been a defense attorney. I've had people look at me and go, what's going to happen to me? All right. What's going to happen to me? And you have someone that steps up and says, no, he's mine. I purchased him with my blood. He belongs to me. She belongs to me. Leave him alone. And the accuser can do nothing because he that is in you is greater than he that's in the world.